This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 135, with guest Melissa Ambrosini. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no-BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, Ass Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the show. As always, I was so excited that you're here and so grateful that you're here. Just one quick announcement that I have one spot available for my private coaching for one-on-one. You can just head over to yourkickasslife.com forward slash coaching to read all about that. And this episode is brought to you by Christine Hassler's Over It and On With It podcast. Christine has been a guest on this show twice before. I absolutely adore her. She's brilliant. She's a master life coach, spiritual psychologist who coaches people live on the air each week. You get to hear and learn from a real coaching session with someone who is probably going through a similar situation that you are in or that you have been in the past. Christine offers practical takeaways and insights in every single episode. So just head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and search for Over It and On With It by Christine Hassler. And wait, there's more. She has two gifts for you that she wants you to have. She has a six-step guide to intuitive decision-making, learn how to get out of limbo and confusion and start trusting yourself. And she has volumes one and two 32 days to up-level your mind and up-level your heart. These are easy-to-digest daily practices or insights that will help you create positive change in your life. Super easy to grab those. Just text the word Christine to 444-999, and I know that you will enjoy every moment of it. And before we get started with today's guest, let me tell you a little bit about Melissa Ambrosini. Melissa Ambrosini is the best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, an entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and self-love teacher. In her signature straight-talking style, Melissa teaches women how to master their inner mean girl, smash through limiting beliefs, and ditch the self-doubt so that they can start truly living the life of their dreams. Named a self-help guru by Elle Magazine, she is known for her inspirational live events, books, booming online community, her empowering goddess groups, game-changing online programs, and her soulful guided meditations. Her mission is to inspire women across the globe to create a heart-centered life, one that's wildly wealthy, fabulously healthy, and bursting with love. So without further ado, here is Melissa. Hello, Melissa. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you because I don't have that many people on from Australia. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's not the only reason. But I absolutely love your book because we talk about the inner critic a lot over here on this podcast. And I want to kind of start at the beginning, though. I was spending hours and hours on your blog and reading some of your backstory. And it sounds like you haven't always been as evolved as you are now. You didn't come out of the womb evolved. Can you tell us your story? Like, what was the point in your life where you decided it was time to make a change? That's hilarious. I absolutely did not come out of the womb omming and evolve and <laughs> in life. Yeah, no way. I think 
with everyone that growth and that enlightenment and that wisdom usually comes through adversity. And that was the case for me. So I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. In 2010, I was living a very different life to the life that I live now, which is full of meditation and self-love and oming and that very spiritual holistic life. Mm -hmm. But prior to 2010, I was a professional dancer and I danced at the Moulin Rouge in Paris and I did acting and TV presenting and I was living this very, very superficial, outwardly focused, burn the candle at both ends, Mm -hmm. go at a million miles an hour, run from different men, run from different cities as soon as things got a little bit tough. That was, you know, my life. Well, it sounds like that would be a career that heavily revolved around your appearance and your body. Exactly. It does not sound easy. No, it really wasn't. And I guess you're always exposed to it, but it didn't really sink in until I was about 19, 20 years old when I went to the Moulin Rouge in Paris and there's so many beautiful women walking around backstage and they're just absolutely goddess-like Amazonian type women. And I started to witness these beautiful women saying, I'm ugly and I'm fat and I'm not good enough and look at my cellulite and my skin's dull and my eyes are too close together and I'm not good enough and I'm not pretty enough. And they had, not everyone, but there was, you know, a couple of women that I witnessed have very loud mean girls. And what that did was it planted a seed within my mind. And I started to think, well, maybe I'm not good enough and I'm not pretty enough and I'm not skinny enough. And my mean girl went on a rampage. Uh And that's, you know, then from there, I really started to entertain some very destructive eating and not eating habits. And it kind of went into a bit of a downward spiral from that place. And I ended up being very unhappy and very unwell. And in 2010, there was no more candle left to burn. And I ended up in hospital with a whole host of a whole host of health issues from treating my body like crap. And I was very unhappy and I was very unwell and I was dealing with depression and anxiety and panic attacks. So physically, emotionally, and spiritually, I was spent and that was my rock bottom. That was my catalyst that I needed to turn my whole life around. And I did. Mm -hmm. And even though that was the darkest and hardest time of my entire life, it was the turning point that I needed to get my life together and to start to look inward, stop blaming everyone else outside of me, start to master my inner mean girl and take responsibility for my life and how it was unfolding. So that's incredible. And I mean, what a wake up call. I mean, to literally be in the hospital and know, you know, something has to change. So did you like when you were with all of those beautiful women and traveling the world and and hearing them say such horrible things to themselves and knowing that their own, you know, inner mean girl was being awful to them? Did you kind of like, were you coming to the slow realization of I have it too? Or were like, how did that all come to play where you knew that your inner voice was something that definitely needed to change in order to change your life? Well, I didn't realize that then uh-huh. I didn't realize that then it wasn't until because I didn't have the awareness and the consciousness that I have now. Right. And I believe awareness is key to transformation. I didn't have that awareness then. 
Well, I did. And, you know, we all do. We're born with it, but I chose not to look at it. Mm-hmm. So I actually believed those thoughts. Right. It wasn't so much so that I thought, oh, well, they've got very loud mean girls. So do I. It was more I believed those thoughts to be true. Mm-hmm. I thought what my inner mean girl was saying to me was the truth. I now know with hindsight and after doing so much work on myself, I know that that's not the truth. The truth of who I am is unconditional love. Yeah. And those inner mean girl thoughts are not my truth and not the truth of who I am. So it wasn't until I had the awareness that I realized I, you know, oh, that's my inner mean girl saying those things to me. That's not who I really am. So it took a little bit of time for me to really discover what was going on. That's interesting. I remember when I first started learning about the inner critic and in the coaching school that I went to, they called it the saboteur, which I think sounds so fancy. (laughs) I remember sitting in training and the instructors were talking about it and I was like, wait a minute wait a minute, you mean to tell me that this isn't my truth, that I can actually manage this and change this and change, like mind blown, right? Oh my God. Totally. And that's the same as me. Like I was literally in hospital and I picked up a book and it was the same thing. I was like light bulbs went on in my mind and I'm like, wait a minute, hang on a second here. Hang on, back this up. I'm not these thoughts. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. And, you know, like you said, you know, you can call it the inner critic. You can call it the saboteur. You can call it your shadow self, your inner mean girl, your inner bad boy. You can call it whatever you want. I don't really care what you call it. But for me, it was this inner mean girl voice that I really resonated with that terminology and which is why I've written Mastering Your Mean Girl because it was so profound for me. I'd never had been taught that you are not your thoughts until I ended up in hospital. And it was literally like the same sort of realization you had. Holy smokes, lights went on for the first time. You, I am not these thoughts. This is amazing. How sign me up to change this. Cause this, it's not a fun place to live. And I think too, you know, when you were saying about those women backstage and I can totally just envision what that looks like, because I think that it doesn't matter what part of the country you're in. Well, I shouldn't say that because I know that there are cultures that don't, (laughs) that don't beat our, you know, tell women that they aren't beautiful. And I know cultures are different, but I do think that our culture that we, this is how we bond in many times in the bathroom. We compare each other, you know, whose thighs are heavier and who ate the worst and who needs to lose the most weight for bathing suit season. And it's interesting. I have a client recently and she was telling me that there's this particular group of women that get together and they're all planning this vacation. And she's like, I know that when I get together with them, you know, they're going to talk about, you know, losing weight and swimsuit season. And I'm like, well, you could call that out. You know, you could just Mm. lovingly say, Hey, you guys, this conversation sucks. (laughs) How about if we have a different one? Or how about if we talk about this differently? So for anyone listening, like we're so used to that conversation of colluding over, you know, how awful we are. And it's the same conversation that happens in our heads. Absolutely. And I used to be the same, you know, backstage at the Moulin Rouge, there's mirrors everywhere. And you, you know, you walk downstairs and you walk around the stage and there's mirrors and everyone's looking in the mirror and you can just see the internal dialogue and their faces like 
ooh, like, you know, you can see it. And I was one too. I'm not just, I'm not saying I didn't do that too. I absolutely did that too. But it was so detrimental. And, you know, what we have to do is put a stop to that berating, not only within our own mind, but without that circle of friends, Mm -hmm. like your client, you know, that used to be me. It was who ate the worst or who's, you know, not eating this weekend or it was absolutely ridiculous. And we have got to stop. And the only way that we will stop is when we put our foot down. And there's a couple of things that you can do. And I know a lot of women feel very uncomfortable about this, but there's a couple of things that you can do. And one of them is what you said and just go, Hey guys, does this feel good? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, why are we doing it? And this conversation really stinks. Let's turn it around. I will not engage in any sort of conversation like that anymore. Yeah. I will not engage in it because my time and my energy is so precious and what you put out into the world, what you say and what you think is so powerful. And I know this now that there is no way you would catch me berating myself or anyone else for that Mm -hmm. matter, or even partaking in that sort of dialogue. It just would not happen anymore. And if we want to rise up as women and stop this generational lineage berating that has happened for so many years, you know, our mums did it, our mums' mums, and it goes back and back years, generations and generations. Mm -hmm. If we Mm -hmm. want to finally draw a line in the sand, then we have to be the trailblazers. We have to be the ones that stop it because if we don't, we will pass it on to our daughters and our daughters' daughters, and there it goes again. Mm-hmm. And we have to put a stop to this self-loathing and berating. Otherwise, our daughters are going to see it, and it's not okay. You know, I had a client once who said to me, you know, we were working through some body image stuff that she wanted to work through, and she said to me, Melissa, you know, my six-year-old daughter has started to say to me, oh my God, my thighs are gross. And she goes, I don't know what to do. And I said, where do you think she got that from? Where do you think? And she goes, oh my God, you're right. She stands in front of the mirror and goes, oh, I'm having a fat day or my thighs are gross. And I said, where is she picking it up from? And she just, you know, couldn't believe it. She goes, oh my goodness, I've got to stop. I've got to stop. My beautiful six-year-old innocent daughter has started to say these things to herself, has started. Her inner mean girl has started already. I couldn't agree more. And what's interesting is that that story that you just told is very common. And what's interesting is that my mom never said anything bad about her own body. My mom didn't talk about other women badly, you know, because like some women will say catty things about other women, their bodies or the way they're dressed. My mom never did. I don't even remember my mom weighing herself or there were nothing at all. And I still picked it up. (laughs) <laughs> because of, I was a, you know, for the sake of sounding dramatic, I was kind of a victim of just our culture and mm. growing up in it and seeing it all around me and the bombardment of advertisements and what we should look like and my peers. And so I think that even if you did grow up in a family, like we can't escape it. And the point I want to make is that it's not our fault because I think mm. sometimes what happens is we kind of awaken to this self-loathing and then we start to feel bad about that and then beat ourselves up about that. So I like to tell people too, like it's not your fault and try to step in with some self-compassion 
And still, like you were saying, like draw that line in the sand, like and be a pioneer in changing this conversation that you have with yourself and changing the conversation you have with your friends and changing the conversation you have with your daughters, because Mm. it can change. It absolutely can change. And it's, I'm not going to say it's not a lot of work. (laughs) It's a practice that happens and kind of switching gears, but kind of on the, the other side of that same coin is you talk in your book about worthiness. And I see it as a little bit of a misconception that there's some advice out there that says that worthiness comes from a simple decision and that's it. So do you believe this is true or do you believe that there's kind of more to it? Mm, That's a really good question. I think worthiness is, it definitely is a decision, but it is programming that we have set for ourselves from a very young age due to our circumstances and our situations and what's happened to us in our life. And we have decided that we feel this worthy because of X, Y, and Z, whatever happened to us. But in saying that, and I talk about in my book, the worthyometer, if there's a worthyometer and 10 is bursting with worthiness and I'm overflowing with worthiness and love within myself and zero being, I feel like a worthless piece of crap. Mm -hmm. Where do you sit on that scale? Right. There are days where I absolutely feel 10 out of 10 on the worthyometer and I'm like, yeah, this is Mm -hmm. awesome. And then there's days where I don't and my worthyometer slides down and I feel maybe a five and I'm like, hang on, what's going on here? What is the internal dialogue? My main girl's telling me what's going on. So that self inquiry is really important, but what I want to inspire within women and everyone is that even if right now you feel a five on the worthy or you feel a zero, that is not your truth and your birthright is to feel 10 out of 10 on the worthyometer. That is mm-hmm. absolutely your birthright. No one is more special than anyone else. Like when we were, you know, being created, you know, God or whatever you believe in didn't dish out more worthiness to me or to you and leave out a little bit for so-and-so. We are all given the same. We're all the same. And when we come into this world, we're all, our birthright is all to feel 10 out of 10 on this worthy ometer. But then what happens is, you know, things happen and we then let them shape and mold who we are. And we might let, you know, that slip down, slip, uh, we might let the worthy ometer slip down. But I want everyone to remember that your birthright and your truth is to feel 10 out of 10 whenever you want to. And that doesn't mean you're always going to feel 10 out of 10. There are times where I still don't and that's okay, but I'm able to be so conscious and aware now that I can see that I've slipped down. Oh, okay. I'm feeling like a seven right now. Uh That's okay. What can I do to help myself get back to a 10? And I have so many tools in my toolkit that I know what I need to do to get myself back to that place of 10. And then there's sometimes where I'm like, stuff it. I don't care. I want to sit and suffer right now. (laughs) I love that you said that. I don't, I I call that like, I don't want to play personal development today. (laughs) I just can't. Yeah. 
<laughs> totally. And you know, my husband, passes. exactly. Mm-hmm. And my husband is very conscious and very spiritual and aware. He'll say, you know, you're suffering, right? And I'm like, yep, I know I'm suffering. And I'm going to sit here for about 10 more minutes mm-hmm. and really have a pity party for myself. And I'll get over it when I'm ready. And he's like, cool, just so you know. And I'll allow myself to sit and just feel really crappy and to feel a five out of five and to feel cranky or whatever it is. Mm. But because I have the awareness and the consciousness now, I know that that's not my truth and that I can come out of it and choose love whenever I want. So I'll give myself a time frame. right? You've got 20 minutes and you can feel as crappy as you want in this 20 minutes. And then you got to get over it. Yeah. You got to move on. I love that. It sounds like you alluded to it and you call it, you know, being conscious of it. Like I call that paying attention. Some people call it mindfulness. And I think that that for me, that has been key in my journey. It's not like, yes, having the tools is really important and knowing what you need to work on, but it's just that paying attention because I used to live my life just completely, not just unconscious, but not even sometimes when I started the journey of personal development of just not paying attention. And so I would fall down that rabbit hole and be in, you know, like a three on the worthyometer and be in it for days. And just, mm. and then it's like, oh, but now I think that what's really helpful too is when you're in it, I love that you said too, like you'll sit in it for a good like 10 minutes or so. I'm the same way. And I found what's helpful for me too is knowing what my triggers are. And when I'm in it, I'm like, hey, what just happened? Did something happen or did someone say something or did I fall into some bad lighting or I don't know, but usually it's the comparison trap sometimes has happened or, you know, my husband and I may have gotten into an argument and something got an old wound got rubbed on. I mean, it could be like several different things, but I think that paying attention is so helpful for people listening. And I love one of the things that one of the tools that you have is that you say to make a list of 20 things you're excellent at when you're feeling not so worthy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's really important. And I love that you say paying attention. And I love that because it is, it's about paying attention or mindfulness, whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call it, awareness, mindfulness, paying attention, whatever words resonate with you. And that's absolutely what it is. And I was very similar to you in the fact that where now I only would sit in things for, you know, maybe 10 minutes or, you know, sometimes don't get me wrong. I still sometimes sit in it for like a day Mm -hmm. where in the past that may have been weeks, months, if not years. My baseline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the more that you pay attention, the more that you listen up, pay attention, be mindful and aware, the quicker you can move through that time of suffering. And that's the practice. That's the muscle, the flexing of the muscles. Yeah, I'm with you. I do think that to an extent, worthiness is a decision. And I think that it is a series of decisions that we make every day that helps us to stay in that decision of worthiness. And, you know, you talked about a couple of them, and I think so much of it starts with the way that we speak to ourselves and, you know, managing that inner mean girl and as well as paying attention and knowing what your triggers are and and all of these things, I think, attribute to it. And I love, too, that we're talking, we're just being real and talking about the fact that it doesn't always go that great. And we all have these days where we just feel like shit and that's okay. Absolutely. And I love what you said before about asking, what am I like being so mindful and listening up about what are my triggers and, Oh, 
that just fully triggered me. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Asking why. And that's something that I do. Like last night, my husband and I were having a bath together and I said something and it really triggered him. And I just watched him like I could almost see his blood boiling. Like yeah. it was and steam <laughs> and steam coming out of his ears. And I said, honey, look, look at how much this triggered you. And cause it wasn't triggering me. I was totally neutral And I was just like, look at this trigger. Like, what is it? Just inquire. And he's like, well, okay, it's triggered me because of X. Mm -hmm. And I was like, great, go there. Well, what is that? What does that mean? And we like, we kind of just unpacked it, but you've got to ask that question. Why? And look at the triggers. Cause what most people do and what I used to do is we'd get triggered and then you point the finger. Well, you triggered me. It's your fault. Angry and you lash out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But Every time you point the finger, there is three fingers pointing straight back at you to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. I used to be the queen of blame and lashing out. And it's all your fault. Yeah. If you would just stop doing that, if you would just start doing this, then all of our lives would be better. Yeah, that was a rude <laughs> awakening. <laughs> mm-hmm. So one of the things that you talk a lot about is choosing love over fear. So what do you think is the most common thing that women do where they choose fear over over love and how can they change that? Well, I believe that in every moment, in every decision we make, we have one of two choices, love or fear. Mm -hmm. And I know us women can sometimes feel like we have 50 choices and we're like, I don't know what to do. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go there? Should I, you know, but when it, when you distill it down, there's really only ever love or fear. And what I mean by that is, you know, for example, are you moving your body because you love your body and your temple so much and you want to move it because you want to, you know, look after yourself? Or are you moving your body out of fear of what you ate last night and hatred toward what you see in the mirror and you're going to the gym and you're flogging your body because your inner critic is so loud and there's so much self-loathing? You know, are you doing work that you love? Or are you going to a job that you hate just for the regular paycheck? Are you surrounding yourself with inspiring people that you love, that lift you up, that, you know, you support each other? Or are you holding on to a couple of friendships that may be a little bit toxic, but you've been friends since you were three years old and your parents are friends and you kind of feel bad and you like, she has no other friends, but you've got to hold on to her. So you're holding on to that relationship out of fear, you know, and then same with what you eat and drink. Are you eating to nourish your beautiful temple that you love? Or are you eating because you hate what you see in the mirror and you're wanting to punish yourself? Like it comes back down to love or fear in every single moment. Are you going to this dinner party because you would love to, or because you feel like you have to, you know, it's Mm -hmm. every decision can be distilled down to love or fear when we unpack it and it's a choice, it is a conscious choice. And this is how I run my life and my business. Every decision I ask myself, well, do I, if I do this, am I doing it from love or fear? And if the answer is fear, I'm not going to do it because there's no point in me showing up to something with, I don't want to really be there because what will happen is every time you ignore your intuition, there is a consequence. There is always. a price. To pay, always. I love that. You know, I've never heard it explained that simply before. And I've read 
A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, which I will link up to that in the show notes because I think it's just, I mean, I highlighted so much of that book and that's what a lot of that is about is choosing love over fear. I love how you simplified it for us. And I think it might just also be as simple as paying attention (laughs) to that simple question. Like when you feel stuck in making a decision, ask yourself, like, am I going to say yes out of love or fear? Am I going to say no out of love or fear? And you might be able to come to a conclusion faster. It may not be the easy choice because sometimes it's not. I think it's because sometimes listening to your intuition is not the easy way, but it's the right way. And if you don't listen, you'll end up finding out later, sooner or later. Absolutely. We all have. I I love that. So it sounds to me, you know, in order to change that is just simply slowing down to ask yourself the question. And that's just kind of looking within really. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And always asking yourself that question, am I doing this from love or fear? Like my husband is, he is so, he's so aware of this stuff that it can sometimes look quite brutal on the outside, but he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And people are like, but, but Mm -hmm. like society says you have to do this. And he's like, no, I I don't want to, it's not my truth. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, and his courage and his bravery. It's very inspiring. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to beat around the bush. He's like, nope, not my truth. I think that is especially important for women as we tend to have trouble with people pleasing. Oh, yes. When we want to say no. I had a situation. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but I did write about it in my second book. It doesn't come out for another year. But I had a colleague. I wouldn't even actually call her a colleague. She was just somebody that I had had one conversation with and exchanged a few emails. And she'd asked me for a favor that I didn't feel good about. And I said, no, I think I had a reason the first time that I told her no. And then a couple months later, she emailed me again and asked me for the same favor. And immediately my gut said, no, it just didn't feel right to me. I don't need to get into the details of why it didn't feel right. And my immediate, you know, the, my, the social self part of me was like, well, I should say yes. You know, I don't want to burn a bridge. I don't want her to think I'm a bitch. And if I do say no, I'm going to have to launch into this big explanation, which by the way, I would have had to lie because to tell her the truth wouldn't just wouldn't have been very nice. It was just a mess. And so I thought to myself, and of course I had to phone a friend because I was kind of agonizing over it. And my friend wisely said, you can't say no without an explanation. (laughs) It's not like she's your sister or your best friend. And, you you know, and it was such a revolution. Like, oh my God, I can, I can simply reply and say, not right now. And of course, Mm. I also wanted to say sorry, but like, I didn't even need to apologize. Like there was nothing to apologize for. I wasn't massively inconveniencing this woman. I wasn't, you know, like her career didn't depend on this favor. It was just a no. And if I would have said yes, I would have been doing it out of fear and saying Mm. no was out of love to me. Cause I would have said yes to someone else. Like I, again, I don't need to get into the circumstances, but it just, it was simply just doing it out of love for myself and just listening to my intuition. Cause I got, when I got that email, it was like a visceral reaction. Like, Oh no, no, I will not do that for you. And it was, I know it seems really simple, but it was revolutionary and just saying no without an explanation. Mm. Yeah. Cause when you say no, thank you to someone else, you open yourself up to a yes for you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, because when you say 
Yes, when you really mean no, you block the energy for something else to come your way. And it's so oftentimes when I've said no thank you that it's opened me up to yeses in ways that I didn't know were possible. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to be a bitch about it and go, no, you can say, no, you can do words. it with kindness yeah. mm-hmm. and no, thank you. And you know what? I think as well as women, we really do have to be mindful of this people pleasing. Again, it's a generational thing that we've learned and we've got to really draw a line in the sand with it because if we people please, we're, it's just an example for our daughter, you know, that that's what they're going to see. And that's if you want your daughter to people, please go ahead and people, please. But Mm -hmm. if you want her to own her truth and to feel confident within herself, then you've got to be that example to her. And, you know, I watched my mom people, please her whole life and she still does. Mm -hmm. And so this was something that I had to really be mindful of and unlearn. It was something that was really deeply embedded within me. And now, you know, I very often am saying, no, thank you. No, thank you. And not apologizing for it. So not sorry. Oh, and making up a lie Mm -hmm. because this is another thing we are constantly telling little freaking white lies and it's not okay. So not saying, oh, sorry, I've got this and make it just saying, no, thank you. It just doesn't feel true for me right now. Or no, thank you. I'm going to have to pass on this one. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all you have to say. You don't have to say sorry and you don't have to give an explanation. Just honor your truth and say no thank. Oh, I'm so grateful for the offer. You know, you could say something like that. I'm so grateful. Thinking of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for thinking of me. I'm really grateful if you are. Or maybe you just say, thank you for the offer. I'm going to have to pass on this one. I wish you all the best. Yeah. You know, that's one sentence and you don't have to apologize for something that you're not really sorry for. And you don't have to tell a little white lie in the process. When I, Oh my God. I mean, if you want to get a quick lesson in, in being rejected, without any apology is write a book and (laughs) send it to publishers. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you went through that too, but how many publishers rejected the first time? I think we got like eight rejections before a yes. And the second time, I think it was a little bit less, but still it was. And my agent would forward me the emails and I finally just like stopped opening them because it was exactly like you said, they were like, no, thanks. And sometimes they gave a reason and they didn't like what they, you know, they didn't like my book, my, my idea. And I was like, Ooh. okay, <laughs> so, that hurts. Guys, I lived, I lived and it's okay. And it just, it's just part of growing up, I think. Mm, totally. Yeah. My agent too, I, there was, you know, about three months of absolute no's mm-hmm. and I would turn to my husband and be like, I'm a crap writer. Oh, Nobody yeah, like, thing. <laughs> like my mean girl went, crazy inner mean girls love that they just they use it as evidence oh yeah yeah she was totally running with it and then you know I would allow myself to feel that and then I was just like you know what keep going yeah and I think that's what makes people quote unquote successful is that they haven't given up Mm mm-hmm They've just keep going and that's the most important thing. Yeah. So I have one more question for you before we wrap it up. And I love to ask this question of my guests. And the question is, what surprises you about the women that you work with? 
This really surprised me when I started working with women about six years ago now. And there was two things. The first thing that surprised me was that everyone has a very loud inner mean girl. Mm -hmm. And the second thing was just how loud their mean girls are. And to the point where people will fully hold themselves back. And I guess it doesn't surprise me now, but it did really shock me many years ago. I just, my mind was blown at how people would hold themselves back with their dream businesses or, you know, texting the guy or healing or, you know, going after something that was really important to them just how much they would hold themselves back. Like it just blew my mind and just how everyone has that voice inside their head, that fear-based negative voice. Everyone has it. No one is excluded from that, you know, and if they were, they would have, you know, levitated out of this body by now and transcended (laughs) and, and moved on to the next realm. But, you know, we're all still here doing the homework. Yeah, I agree with you. And I appreciate that answer so much. And I'm sure people listening do too, and knowing that they're not the only one and we all have it, but it is absolutely possible to manage it. And like Melissa says, master that mean girl. And thank you so much for being here today. I have so appreciated and I'm so grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for the work that you're doing and all the women that you're inspiring and helping and supporting on their journeys. It's my pleasure. And for anyone listening, the show notes are at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 135. There's links to Melissa's website and her book and any other resources that we talked about in this podcast episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.